Um, you know, as a fill-in pastor, uh, working with Texas Baptist, uh, you know, I go and I'll preach here a week, maybe two weeks. This is the first time that I've had four weeks, and so, um, at a church. So, y'all might put the word out, and I might never get four weeks again somewhere, right? Uh, but anyway, and so it's really the first opportunity that I've had to uh, kind of put this much time. I've, I've shared in other places, kind of in one week, a synopsis of four chair and, and that kind of stuff. But really being able to go a little bit more in depth about making disciples. So uh, I thank you for the opportunity to, to come and share. And so as we kind of round out, and, and really, like I said, the, the previous weeks, even though we started out, uh, with the whip sermon, the bull whip sermon, Ephesians 3, uh, to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine according to his power that works in us. I don't see these as four separate messages. I really kind of see them as all tying together. And so if Main Street Baptist Church wants to make a sonic boom here in Georgetown, Texas, I believe the way that we go about doing that is his church is getting back really to what we're called to do, the main thing that we're called to do, and that's making disciples and multiplying disciples. And so we're going to talk about multiplying today in Second Timothy. And so like I said earlier, uh, through the process of elimination, we did come back to it is in Second Timothy. And so Second Timothy chapter 2 Paul wrote this to his beloved son in the gospel, Timothy. He said, you have heard me teach these things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. So we're going to dig into this scripture a little bit this morning. Now my first point, I really can't tie to anything in this scripture, but my first point is measure them. That's what we do in church, right? We measure them. Uh, the Bible, and, and not just in church, the Bible is full of numbers, right? In fact, there's a whole book in the Old Testament about numbers, right? It's really your favorite book to read, isn't it? Why are y'all laughing? The early service laughed at that as well. I know, right? If you can endure through numbers, you can get on to the good stuff, right? But numbers are important. And, and, and so I didn't say this in the early service, but... Some pastors, some preachers will say, well, I'm not into numbers. Well, every number represents somebody that's going to heaven for eternity or represents somebody that's going to hell for eternity, right? And God doesn't choose to send anybody to hell. You know, that's what some people say. Well, I just don't see how loving God, he didn't, he doesn't send anybody to hell. He provided a way out through his son in his death on the cross. And so... God would wish that everyone would accept Him. But, you know, heaven is not the default position because we have to choose to have a relationship with Him. But the Bible is... And so there's nothing wrong with numbers. There's nothing wrong with with measuring numbers. But I believe we in churches have to do a better job of measuring the right numbers. Now, two things that we typically measure in churches, right, are attendance and offerings, right? How many people are sitting out in the church service on Sundays? How many people are coming to Sunday school? How many people are coming to small groups? How many people heard the message? We even count them online, right? If you happen to be watching online, we're counting you today as well. Um, 
And then we measure offerings. How much money was given. So those are the two big measuring sticks. In fact, some people slicker than me have said through the years we measure nickels and noses and butts and bucks. Right? So... Anyway, however you want to look at it, and I'm not saying those two things shouldn't be measured, but it's it's a lot harder to measure um, the life transformation that happens in people's lives in the one-on-one. In, in Acts 2, right, it says those who believe that Peter and what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, and how many people were added? 3,000, right? So even in the early church, they were counting. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with counting the nickels and the noses and the attendance and the offering. It's easy to measure how many people come and sit in a service and how much is given. It's not as easy to measure how many people are engaged in pouring their life into somebody else over a span of many months or years and then helping that person to reproduce or multiply themselves, really, right? That, that's what it's about, that, that people would multiply. And, and so, you know, there's nothing wrong with measuring, but I think in, in the context of the church of North America today, we're gonna have to start, if, if we wanna be more successful in making an impact in our communities, it's not just about addition, it's about multiplication. And the only way that we're going to multiply is by making disciples the way Christ has commanded us to make disciples. And so we need to start measuring that in some way, shape, or form. So uh, the second point, uh, we can get right out of the text there, right? Timothy, Paul says to Timothy, uh, you have heard me teach these things. So one, Paul taught these things to Timothy. And then he says, now you, Timothy, teach these truths to trustworthy people. So we've got to teach people. We've got to train people. We've got to train them. And so I ask this question to you today. And, and I read this this week. Some uh, A friend of mine sent this to me. I want you to think today. What problem? Now, there are problems in the church sometimes, right? And, and not because of the Savior that we serve. It's not because of the Savior that we serve that there are problems. It's because of the people in the church, right? Um, in, in fact, you know what the best thing about church is? The people. But you want to know what the worst thing about church is sometimes? The people. Some of y'all know that, right? Anyway, um, so it, it's, it's about people. But any problem, what, can you think of a problem in the church? We, we have problems in the church from time to time. Can you think of any problem that couldn't be fixed by us being more intentional about disciple making? I really want you to think about that. Think about this week. What, is there a problem that making disciples wouldn't remedy whatever deficiency there is in the church? And I believe the answer is no. If we're serious, in fact, I knew a church start that started about 17 years ago in Bell County, about the same time that, that we started the Cowboy Church in Salado. And they were having lots of people coming. They were having lots of noses, but they weren't having too many nickels, right? Um, and, and so they hired an outside consultant to come into the church. And you know what that outside consultant told them? They said, if you have a giving problem at the church, you have a disciple-making problem at the church. Because when we teach people the things and the truths about God's Word, 
they understand those things. When they have a relationship with him and, and you teach them those things, then they understand and they fall in love with the Lord and they realize then that it's not all their nickels. Some of those nickels go to the Lord as well. And so Titus chapter 2, just a few pages over, if you've got your Bible, Titus chapter 2, uh, Paul wrote this uh, to Titus. And he said in, in Titus chapter 2 and verse 3, he said, similarly, sim, yeah, whatever that word is, teach the older women to live in a way that honors God. They must not slander others or be heavy drinkers. Instead, they should teach others what is good. These older women must train the younger women to love their husbands and love their children, to live wisely and to be pure, to work in their homes and to do good and be submissive to their husbands. They will not bring shame on the word of God. Now look at verse 6 in what he tells Titus. He says, in the same way, Titus, encourage the young men to live wisely, and you yourself must be an example to them by doing good works of every kind. Let everything you do reflect the integrity and seriousness of your teaching. Teach the truth so that your teaching can't be criticized. Then those who oppose you will be ashamed and have nothing bad to say about us. So what does Paul instruct Titus about teaching discipling here, I see? Well, he says, let the older women train the younger women. And then he tells Titus to teach the younger men as well or, or you know to be an example to others and so one of the things that i always encourage people when it comes to disciple making is men should disciple men and women should disciple women uh, especially in in the realms of being adults uh, because if you're married to somebody and the person that you want to disciple is married to somebody and you're from uh, you know, and you're the opposite sex, all of a sudden you start discipling. There's nothing, uh, there's no bad intentions, there's no bad motives there, but all of a sudden this person really listens to you and my husband or my wife doesn't listen to me as well. And all of a sudden, you know, you fall in love with this other person. And, and so there's just no reason. And so after the first service, now I will, there are maybe some exceptions for this, right? Your kids. It's okay, dads, for you to disciple your girl daughters. And mothers, it's okay for you to disciple your sons, okay? Um, and yes, men, you can disciple your wife. And wives, you can help disciple your husbands. Uh, but out of the context of family, it's probably best for men to disciple men and, and women to disciple women. Uh, just to... To, so that nothing uh, happens that we don't intend to happen. And and so what is, you know, what are you going to use to disciple people? This is enough. This is enough. Well, what in here? Well, what did Jesus say? Teach them everything I've commanded you. And so, you know, if somebody is a new believer, then maybe you need to take them through some basics. You know, what does it mean that God's going to answer your prayer? What does it mean uh, to have forgiveness of your sin? What does it mean to have eternal life? There's nothing wrong, but, you know, this is the curriculum. This is what we need to teach people. Um, you know, I was a believer in, in the churches that I pastored 
Uh, most of our small groups discussed what the sermon was on Sunday because people had already been introduced to the topic, right? And there were always some detractors about that. Well, I heard the sermon already on Sunday. Well, sure, you heard it, but you didn't get to discuss it. You didn't get to interact with it with other people and encourage people. And so that's in a small group. So even then, on one-on-one or one-on-two discipling, discussing uh, what what was preached in the sermon and how are you living that out? How are you applying that to your life? Because really that's what Jesus did, right? He preached sermons to people and then his disciples would come to him and say, Jesus, what do you mean? What did you mean when you taught that? And so he would break it down so that they could understand it. And, and so that's, that's what we need to teach people. That's what we need to train people. And so th- this is good enough. If somebody is reading uh, in their personal time with the Lord and they come across something that they didn't understand, then that's a great time in, in discipleship uh, to ask the person who is discipling them, hey, how, how do you handle this verse? How do you apply this verse to your life? I'm, I'm struggling with this verse. I read this this week and I really just don't understand. So, one, we've got to count them. Two, we've got to teach them and train them. And three, we've got to send them. At some point, uh, you become mature enough that you need to be sent out. And, and look what uh, Paul wrote to Timothy there. I'm going to read the verse again. He said, you have heard from me, uh, the things you have heard from me, teach, uh, teach, you have heard me teach things that you, that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Do you realize there are four generations of disciples in that one verse? One, you've got Jesus to Paul, right? Jesus passed on things to Paul. Then Paul passed things on to Timothy. That's the second generation. Then what did Paul tell Timothy to do? Paul told Timothy, find faithful people that you can pass those things on to. And then those faithful people are going to pass them on to others. So four generations of disciples right there in 2 Timothy. And I would say a lot of times we have four generations of Christ followers in our churches, but we don't necessarily have four generations of disciple makers who have made disciples and encouraged. And so after I read the book, a couple of years ago, I've, I've made disciples in the past. I've poured into other people, but I wasn't currently investing in somebody. And the Holy Spirit got all over me and, and you know, the Holy Spirit, I've never heard an audible voice or anything like that, but I just felt impressed. You're going to do, you know, what you know to do, or are you just going to read about it and talk about it and preach about it? I said, no, Lord, I'm not just going to talk about it and preach about it. I want to be a doer of the word. And so I started praying, well, who's somebody, uh, because, I, you know, in, in, in my job at Texas Baptist, I go and visit a lot of churches, uh, visit a lot of new church starts, um, and, and called from time to time to preach. So I'm not really plugged in at the church where I'm a member, right? So I don't know a whole lot of people there. But God brought to my memory uh, a young man who was a member at the last church that I pastored. And he would call me from time to time and he would ask questions. He wanted to learn about something. So he would ask if maybe there was a book that he could read or, or something or, you know, could I give him some advice on some where to look for things? So I called him up one day and I said, Hey, I said, uh, I, I want to know if you might be interested in meeting once a week and, uh, I, I want to help pour into you and I want to help disciple you. And he said, Yeah, I think that would be great. 
Now this, uh, this man, I say young man because he's younger than me, but he was already an adult man, had kids. And, uh, so I said, well, now I, I just want to, I want to help you understand this. If I take time and I invest in you for 18 to 36 months, whatever it might be, I said, I've got to know that you're going to be willing to go and do the same thing with somebody else. I said, because I think that's where we fall short in the church sometimes is if we do take time to invest in others, then it just kind of stops right there. And he said, yeah, he said, uh, and so that's what, so really he already knew Christ. He wasn't a new believer, so we didn't need to start with the basics. And so we just met and we started going through the four chair book and reading a chapter and discussing it each week. And you know what was interesting to me about four weeks into four chair discipling? He said to me, he said, I knew that God wanted me to do this with other men in my life, but he said, I just didn't know how to go about it. And to me, that was pretty amazing. He knew that God wanted him to do something like that, but he just didn't know how to go about it. So I was at Texas Baptist uh, at staff meetings. Um, you know, I am part of Texas Baptist, and so I appreciate um, y'all showed the video about the Mary Hill Davis offering for state missions. That's actually where we get some of our funds to help start new churches is the Mary Hill da- uh, Davis offering for state missions. And uh, so because of what churches like Main Street Baptist give to that offering, uh, we get to help start new churches. In fact, I didn't mention this in the early service, but there's a church in Bell County in Counter City Church that uh, celebrates a year anniversary tomorrow and they just got into their own facility um, so they're leasing this facility they're hoping to be able to raise some funds and uh, do a, a purchase option uh, maybe within the next six to twelve months and all that kind of stuff isn't possible without partnership right we can do more together than we can individually so anyway that wasn't really a part of my sermon but that was the little plug for the mary hill davis so um Anyway, they appreciate that at Texas Baptist, right? Uh, but it does. It, it allows us to partner together. And and so when we partner together uh, in making disciples, we can multiply. Uh, it, it's about multiplication. Uh, Jesus to Paul, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to trustworthy people, and trustworthy people to others. We need to intentionally multiply. We as, as followers in Jesus Christ and as the church, we don't just need to be content with addition, adding one here or adding one there. Uh, we need to have a heart for multiplication. And so my daughters, I think I mentioned last week, after I had read the book, Four Chair Discipling, that was the, you know, the, the simplest way that I had ever heard somebody explain that Jesus had a process that he took people, you know, that he used with those first disciples. And so I got them to read the book and they started discipling some other young ladies as well. A few months ago, one of my daughters called me and said that, you know, we were visiting about things and she said, the coolest thing happened this week uh, with one of the young ladies that I'm discipling. And I said, what's that? And she said, we were visiting and all of a sudden the young lady said, I realize there are some people that I need to begin discipling. And I was like, man, that is great. So even though she didn't go into it saying, hey, if I invest in you like I did with the man that I started uh, discipling, it's just, a, you know, it, it ought to be a natural progression. And, and at some point, maybe if that conversation doesn't come up, then we as the leader 
start saying, well, hey, who is somebody that you might start investing in as well? Because I just know, um, how, how many of you ever heard this in church? Well, I'm just not being fed in church, right? Any of you ever heard that? Somebody laughed, so they must have heard it before. You know, sure, the, the pastor is supposed to prepare a message. He's supposed to help uh, encourage you. He's supposed to preach a word that challenges you. But I think part of the reason that people feel like, you know, that, that they're not being challenged in their own spiritual walk is they're not investing in the life of somebody else. Because when you're teaching somebody else, you, it's, you don't have to stay a mile in front of them, but you've at least got to stay two or three steps ahead of them, right? And, and so, and, and there's just, you understand things at a deeper level when you go to help walk somebody else through that as well. And I think we just, we have a generation of people here in America that, that haven't done that. We haven't invested in the lives of others. And I'll just say this, that, that was when I talked about Mary Hill Davis, I meant to, to segue into this. I was at staff week, a, 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 a year ago. And after I read the book and I was, anyway, I just, I wanted to know how many of the people in the room. So there are about 20 people on, uh, the missions team. Uh, the Center for Missional Engagement is our official title now. And so there are about 20 people in the room, all who work for Texas Baptist. Some are ministry assistants and that kind of stuff, but a lot of them have been pastors and, uh, you know, served in churches. And so 20 people in the room, I asked the question, how many of you had somebody personally kind of take you by the hand and help pour into you when you came to know Christ? So 20 people in the room, how many you think would have raised their hand? Two. Two out of 20 people raise their hand. And see, that that's what's wrong with the church. And I'm not down on the church. I'm just saying we count nickels and noses, but we don't count transformational disciple making. And so we've got to start multiplying as the church. We've got to start looking at the metric of Paul to Timothy, uh, Jesus to Paul, Paul to Timothy, Timothy to trustworthy people. We've got to start looking at how do we uh, multiply this movement of Christ followers. And so there just needs to be an expectation. We need to help people understand up front that, that even though I've never done it, but and, the, and that might be you know what you're saying this morning. Well, Jason, I just don't know how to do it because nobody ever did it for me. Well, I didn't know exactly how to do it either, but you've got the best guide in this book, and his name is Jesus Christ. And he kind of lays out a roadmap. And if you'll trust him and if you'll be serious, he will help you to invest in others so that they can invest in others as well. I'm so excited that my daughters are investing in others, that my wife is investing in others. And... And, and I just want to encourage you to, to multiply, to really be a church that, um, that is going to make a sonic boom here in Georgetown and in Williamson County. And so last week or the week before, I think I talked about, uh, Spader says in the book, if you take a, a church of a hundred people and they will invest, if they will disciple people for a 36 month period, a three year period, and those people will multiply at the end of 30 years, you have a church of 100,000. So let's just break it down. 30 years is a long time, right? But my wife and I have been building a house for six years. So that's, anyway, yeah, we've done most of the work ourselves. Like I said, if I had two brain cells to rattle around in here together, and we finally got moved into that house six years later, 
So I know six years is closer to ten than it is to one or two, right? Um, so it, it's a little while, but just think about ten years. And, and, you know, 30 years is a long time. I don't have a 30-year plan, but some people have a five- and a ten-year plan, right? Just think about in ten years, if a hundred people would commit to making disciples and those people would commit, then in ten years, that's a thousand people. I'm going to tell you, Main Street Baptist Church here in Georgetown, Texas can make a sonic boom for Jesus Christ. But it's it's going to be through individuals making the decision that I'm going to buy into what what Jesus commanded us to do. And, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to get involved in it. And I know it's challenging and I'll be honest with you. It's messy. And anytime people are involved, life gets messy, but it's what he's called us to do. And, and I'm a firm believer that if we'll get back to doing what it is that God's called us to do, that, that he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine according to his power that works in us. Um, I've, I've, uh, I don't want to say I've wasted, but, but I've, I haven't been as intentional through many years of my life in being a Christ follower of making disciples and encouraging those people. But I'm at the point in my life, I'm 51 years old, I'll be 52 in February. I don't want to be non-intentional anymore. You get what I'm saying? I want to be intentional. I want to invest my life in others who are going to invest their lives in others. I want us to reproduce. I want us to multiply for Jesus Christ. And I'm not naive enough to think that everybody in the room is going to buy into that. Not everybody's drinking the Kool-Aid this morning, right? I get that. But I want to encourage you. If you're serious about following Jesus, this is the thing that he's called us to do. And I can't encourage you enough uh, to pray and to seek the Lord and to start investing in somebody. If, if you came to know Christ a year ago, then you're ahead of somebody who accepted Jesus Christ today, right? Um, but, you know, do, and, and if you haven't been invested in, then, then pray and ask for the Lord to show you somebody in the church that you could go ask and say, hey, would you start pouring into me? Would you disciple me? And I hope if somebody comes up to you and says that, you'll be eager to say yes. I know it means that you might have to, you know, nobody's, Brett talked about going to the Longhorn game. Yes, nobody wants to go to the Longhorn game, right? I know it's a sacrifice to have to turn off the Aggie game because, but, but really there are lots of other days in the week besides this Saturday when you can get together to disciple people, but it is a sacrifice of our time. But but I hope that it would be important enough for you that you would say, yes, I, I want to meet with you. I want to pour into you. I want to encourage you. I want to invest in you so that you might better understand how to live for Jesus Christ and so that you might help others to live for Jesus Christ. So I want to close this morning. I realize this wasn't a, a message that is all focused on coming to know Jesus, but maybe there's somebody here and, and you've never accepted Christ before. And so I don't want you to walk out those doors and, and not have a relationship with Christ today. And so if you know that you need to invite Jesus Christ into your life, you can say this prayer with me. Um, and, and if it's not, it's not a fancy prayer, it, it's about meaning it from your heart. And so, If you need to say something like this, Dear Jesus, I know that I've messed up. 
And Jesus, I ask you right now to come into my life. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you were put in that tomb, but on the third day you rose again. And Jesus, help me every day from this day forward. Help me to live for you. Lord, help me to multiply and make disciples. Lord, thank you for those of us in the room who are serious about following you and are serious about multiplying, who are serious about making disciples. Lord, I just pray that we'll hear of great things happening here at Main Street Baptist Church in Georgetown, Texas, because people are obedient to you and obedient to your word. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand as we continue worship.